So we are talking about Jesus being on retreat, which might be kind of a a weird thing to talk about if you're just jumping in with us. But we see in Jesus this regular rhythm where he gets away from the normal hustle and bustle of life to just get alone with God. And there is intentional purpose in that. He's modeling for us a rhythm of retreating, getting alone with God in order to fill up with God so that as he goes and engages the world, he pours out God, pours out good fruit, pours out power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to take another kind of step on that this morning. But before we get there, I want to just review real quick. We've been talking in the last couple weeks about our identity, and if you haven't listened to those messages, I strongly encourage you to jump onto weareelevation.com and watch the last two weeks on our identity, because it really is the foundation of our life with God. It's not a coincidence that on the first retreat that Jesus ever took, which his baptism, I would call a retreat, as he took time alone to to be with God, and sometimes that retreat includes other people, so it's not you're only alone. It's the focus of I'm setting aside the normal hustle and bustle to commune, to connect with God. So for a lot of you this morning, this is right here, right now, that's a healthy retreat. Getting away from busyness, distraction, stress, worry, to fill up with God. So Jesus does that by going and getting baptized in the Jordan River, and it says that he was praying That's a retreat right there. Every time you pray, it's a retreat. Connecting with God. Saying, I want to fill up with you. I want to commune with you. So it says Jesus is praying. And what does he hear? He hears a voice from from heaven that says, You are my beloved son. I delight in you. Ah, that should fill the soul. If you hear God say, You are my beloved child. I delight in you. Not coincidentally, that's the first retreat that we have on record of Jesus. Not coincidentally, because that is where life is meant to be lived from. This free, gracious, unearned, unmerited identity. An incredible Heavenly Father who is wildly better than we even can possibly imagine who looks from heaven with a smile, with a gaze, says, you are my beloved child. I delight in you. And if you think that was just for Jesus and not you, go listen to the last two messages. Because <laughs> that's what they're all about. We can take on that same identity. Jesus actually works hard, if you will, to show us, to prove to us that he wants us to be able to have that posture of a beloved child that is delighted in by God. And so that's a, that's a free gift. But I want to contrast it this morning with there's a tension. That's a free gift, but it takes effort 
to live from it. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. But it takes effort to live from it. That's what I want to dig into this morning. Because here's the reality. No one in this room is going to magically wake up super close to God with that identity received Powered in the spirit, you know your mission, you know your gifts and passions, your soul feasts on God regularly, your soul is satisfied with him. You can say like David does, that your love is better than life, and your presence is fullness of joy. I live from this identity that I'm a beloved child and you delight in me. No one in this room is going to wake up and magically just be full of all that. There is a tension in the Bible that says all of that is true. All of that is free. None of that can be earned. It's all grace. Yet there's effort on your part to receive it and soak in. And I know that a lot of us are uncomfortable with the word effort. Well, I didn't mean that. Like... (laughs) I didn't mean that how that just came out. <laughs> I'm not saying you're all lazy. No, no. That, that's, how I, that's how I said, isn't it? Sorry. This sounds like, now I feel like I'm at home with my wife. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, that's what I said. That, that is what I said. It's not what I meant. I'm talking about from kind of that theological position where we get real uncomfortable with effort because it's like, but, but by grace, By grace, we've been saved. You can't earn it. Works won't get us there. Amen, amen, amen. But there is a strand that within the, 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 I would say, broader American church where, so we get scared of owning that there's effort required on our part. Because anytime we we kind of get in that area where, well, I got to do something about this. Well, I thought it's all grace. This is all grace. I can't work for it. No works. So I want to I go after that because there's truth in that and there's a lie in that. And so let's go right to Jesus. Jesus models these retreats where he's getting alone with God to fill up his soul on God so he can pour out God. The retreats were no accident. The retreats themselves were effort. Let me show you an example. When it was day, this is Luke 4, 42. When it was day, he departed. So he got up early in the morning and he left and go, went to a desolate place on a retreat. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And so he leaves and goes somewhere else. One of the other gospels has a little bit more of the conversation where his disciples are like, where are you? Everybody wants you. Everybody's looking for you. And so Jesus does two things. (laughs) He takes a welcoming crowd that has received the good news about the kingdom. And it shows that the people were being healed. So you could say a little mini revival is breaking out. And he doesn't wake up first thing and continue that. He leaves that welcoming crowd to go be alone with God. 
And secondly, when he is found and people are like, hey, where are you, man? People want you. They're not, you know, they're not done with you. They want you to stay. They like you. They're receiving your message. People are being healed. Those are all great things, right? And he's like, and now I got to leave. So that's just an interesting passage. But what you see in the basics of it is Jesus wakes up first thing in the morning and what's on his mind, what he's going to put effort and intentionality into is not, oh, there's a hungry crowd that needs to hear the word today. He makes a choice to say, I'm going to leave that hungry crowd right there and I am going to go be alone with the Father. His retreats are no accident. That is effort. That is a choice. That is intentionality. Where he is showing us the effort to have in life a basic rhythm of retreat with God. You think you're doing important stuff in the morning? Sorry, but Jesus did more important stuff. And Jesus himself models the effort to get this rhythm established and maintain it. I'm going to go be alone with God and fill up. So then, and for the rest of life, I'm in this rhythm of pouring out God to the world. Another piece is that not only does he have the effort of the basics of this retreat rhythm down, he's also attentive, which is effort. He's attentive. He's mindful too when the Holy Spirit is calling him to what you might call a bonus retreat, an additional one, an icy on top of the cake. Check it out, Luke 5, 15. So now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. It's similar to what we saw in Luke chapter 4, but now Luke's being even more specific. He's, he's wanting, to see, wanting us to see this contrast of how intentional Jesus is. I mean, it's saying large crowds are gathered to hear him and be healed. I mean, Jesus, isn't that what you came for? Isn't that what you're here for? But he would withdraw. He would leave to desolate places and pray. So he's established a basic rhythm, but he's also listening. It's about what is the Spirit doing? Or as Jesus says in John 5, I only do what I see the Father doing. So he's attentive that it might be, as this picture's painting, it might be in the middle of, of this ministry thing or where there's a bunch of people waiting for him, but he says, oh, I'm attentive. The Spirit's saying, come be alone. Or you could see Luke 6, 12 to 13. This is just one chapter later. In these days, he went out on the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. That's, again, his attention is on what is the Spirit doing. And right before a huge decision of who he's going to choose for his 12 apostles, it's not a coincidence that he feels the Spirit leading him to get alone, to pray, 
to listen to God, to get on retreat, make sure he's filled up and hearing God's heart, God's will. So that's an attentiveness to the leading of the Spirit. So what I would submit to you is we're seeing a pattern that Luke is trying to show us where Jesus is making the effort to have this basic rhythm of retreat with God and then the effort of being attentive to the leading of the Spirit for bonus times of retreat, if you will. Because a big challenge is coming, so you, kinda, you need those extra times. And we should all be able to relate with that. That when those extra, uh, those things come in our life that are extra challenging, they're stressful, they're hard, they're exciting, they're great, there should be bonus times with God coming. So that we make sure these big moments of life are full of God. And we're not now doing it on our own strength. Our question to ponder here is, do we have those those efforts in place in our life to carve out, to make time for those basic retreats with God on a regular basis, and then like like a lover hearing the beckoning call, available, attentive to hear those whispers of, and come with me right now, get alone with me. This is, you got some big stuff coming. And where we'll stop and we'll say, this is the most important voice in my life. I'm going to go be with God. I would submit to you that Jesus prioritizes this in a major way. You could say, I think it's appropriate to say, he, he has his effort, if you will, his attention on being alone with God as a regular retreat and getting alone with God when God says and beckons by the Spirit. He gives that as much a priority of, as anything in life. And that's the effort I'm talking about. We're not earning God's love. We're not doing enough good works where now we've, you know, been good enough. It's about valuing relationship. Plain and simple. How much do we value our relationship with God? (coughs) Excuse me. How much do we want to be filled up with God? It's just relationship. And it really comes down to the amount that you invest in your relationship with God is where you're going to see that fruit return. Jesus talked about it. He says, treat it like this. It's like my, your relationship with me is like gold. It's like a gold bag that you found in a field. You were just walking along one day and maybe it kind of found you. You saw those coins. Like, oh my gosh, there's a, what is this? You dig a little, there's a pot of gold right here. And so what does Jesus say to do? Go sell everything that you have so that you can buy this field. So this can be yours. What's he saying? It's about prioritizing that relationship, that there is nothing more valuable that you will ever find than connection with God, than being with God, than knowing your identity, than knowing your mission, being filled up with his spirit to do your mission, to have your soul satisfied, to be able to say like the Apostle Paul, who had everything, he had everything this life has to offer in terms of status and position and power and title and respect. And what does he say? It's the closest thing in the Bible to a curse word. He says, I consider everything dung 
compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. For whose sake I have lost everything. That's effort. He bought the field by giving up everything. Let's go to Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. This is his approach to following Jesus, to life with God. And please hear me in all this effort. It's, there's a smile on my face because this is about a treasure that's been found in a field and we have the opportunity to live with the greatest treasure, to live connected to God. There's no greater treasure. So Paul takes that treasure and he says, so this is my mindset. How do I steward that treasure? How do I steward that opportunity I have to bask in my identity as a beloved child, to find my mission, to be empowered by the Spirit, to have my soul satisfied in God and stop eating, you know, Chex Mix when prime rib is right here available. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. This is how Paul, he gives us a window into his approach do you not know that those who run a race, they all run, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you win. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my, myself. I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the race. Just on the surface level, look at how much effort Paul <laughs> puts into this. He's describing again his mindset of the journey of life with Jesus. Run. It's a race. It's a race. Run in such a way that you're going to win. That's effort. You run. That's an effort. Like, reminds me of my, mom, my mom's favorite t-shirt. It says something like, if you see me running, uh, you should run too because I'm being chased by somebody dangerous or something like that. It's kind of the joke of like, I don't really like running. It's a lot of effort. That's what Paul's saying. It's just inherent to life with God. There's effort. It's a race. He goes on to say, so every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Effort, big time, self-control in all things, every aspect of life. Paul says, I run in such a way as with not, not without aim, that's effort. I box in such a way as not beating the air. That's effort. I discipline my body. That's effort. Again, this is not in any way about trying to earn a salvation through effort. This is about the simple reality, the necessary choice. 
and awareness of what do you value most in life? Is it connection with God? Or is it many other things? Every single relationship you have works this way. Every single one. It's not just what you say, oh, I value it. It's show me effort. I mean, if, I, if my relationship with my wife is awesome, we've been married almost 19 years, but if from this point out, I just say, hey, thanks for all the great memories. I'm just gonna coast now. I've got a lot of other important things that are calling my attention. So, you know, just, I love you, but all these other things out here are important. How long is that going to last before our connection just diminishes? Not long. We're made for regular connection. Same thing with kids. Hey, kids, I love you. I support you. You know, but dad's got to work. I've got to work. So, you know, I'll see you at your birthday. What's the connection going to be like with them? It just doesn't work. No relationship with work works without putting in the effort of connection and that's the success right there it's showing up and then the good thing is <laughs> that's God's grace is all over it it's not like we're in that alone time with God working of oh God I I gotta work so hard right now to earn my identity no if that's the case that's the wrong mindset it's just make the effort to get there and let God pour out that freely given identity that you receive. Or the same thing with your mission. It's not, oh, I gotta work hard enough to prove myself so that God gives me a mission. No, it's show up. Listen. Let others speak into your life. Let the Lord hone your heart and clarify. Let him give you that mission and then let him work on your character. I'm showing up so you can do in your grace, what you love to do. So Paul says life with God is like an Olympic sport. That's the, that's the games he's talking about. That's the athletes. That's the wreath. You ever seen those, you know, old Greek, you know, Olympic game pictures? That's exactly what Paul's talking about. That's the sport that he knew. And so you got a, you know, a wreath made of olive branches or other, you know, nice little plants. That's like the trophy. That's a big deal. Oh, it's not a plan. It's the trophy. So what does Paul say? He, he, he gives us two little mindsets here. And we're just going to land on this and be done. Two mindsets that, that do require effort. Essentially, he says, in our relationship with God, in our walk with God, he says, I race to win and I train to reign. Some pack these. Paul says he lives in a mindset. He races to win. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you may win. Paul says our mindset in Christ is I race to win. That's... <laughs> That is a huge issue. Do you plan on winning in life? Do you expect victory? Are you going through life just to kind of get by? 
Is the, is the mindset here where it's just, oh, I'm kind of jogging this race? I know I've kind of, I've got my ticket to heaven, so I'm, I'm, I'm chill, I'm cool. I'm just going to jog from here on out. Paul, in his beautiful way, says, man, we have such a privilege. We've been made alive in Christ. Now we're on the winning team. You've got resurrection power in your blood. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is flowing through you. It's your DNA now. So don't settle for the mindset that says, I'm just going to lose. I'm going to keep losing. I got defeated. I got beat up. And that's just my lot in life. It's going to keep happening. Paul says, that's a lie. Stop believing it. Your mindset is, I'm in it to win it. I race to win. And he's not talking about only eternal life. He's talking about right now. His expectation is in this journey with God. He's going to win. Victory will be his. And that is so important of how we're approaching life. Do we expect victory in God? Or do we expect that we're just going to keep losing? Life's going to keep defeating us. Life's going to keep beating us up. And we're just going to kind of have to we just got to coast through until it's all over. Paul has a mindset, a victorious mindset. We have the privilege to be racing to win. And it's not racing against, against other people. This is not like, oh, I'm better than you. I've got to step on you in order to get ahead. I've got to squash your head. No, this is about racing against the enemy of your soul the one who wants to defeat you and keep you down, to keep you from living in the fullness of your identity, to keep you from knowing your mission, to keep you from being empowered in the spirit to go out and make a significant impact on the world for God's kingdom, to keep your soul from being satisfied in God more than anything else. That's who you want to beat. That's who you want victory over. And Paul declares, I race to win. And so that mindset alone will change things. That doesn't mean there's not going to be defeats and hard days and sometimes where you feel like you just got punched in the face. It happens. But the mindset is, no, I'm racing to win. That's where Paul can say, we're more than conquerors. I plan to win. I plan on victory. I plan on conquering those battles in my life to see Jesus, the victor, flowing in and through me. But what he also talks about here is, so that's our mindset, but the effort on our part is, so you've got to train to reign. If you're going to be victorious and have that mindset, awesome, but you've got to train to reign. That's the effort. L look at all these things he says. We run, we, ex <coughs> excuse me, we exercise self-control in all things. He says, I run, I box, I discipline my body. He's training to reign. His mindset of his part in the relationship is that there's effort. He doesn't want to spend his effort running in a pointless direction. He wants to run. He knows he needs to run. So he's saying, I run with intentionality. And he's saying, I don't want to box aimlessly in the air, hitting nothing. So he's saying, I want to put my effort to land the punch. 
He says, I discipline my body like an athlete who exercises self-control in everything. And athletes are a good picture. They're a good picture of you train to reign. You train to win. You plan on winning, but you know you gotta train for it. Athletes are an incredible picture of that. I mean, you rarely ever see a champion who's on the podium, they just won, and they're like, yeah, tell us the story. And they're like, yeah, I just kind of, you know, I was just hammered last night till 2 a.m., and, my, you know, I thought I had nothing better to do, so I just rolled in and just crushed everybody today. Never! What, is, what do they all say? They all say, I was the first one in the gym and the last one out. I've been training for this for 30 years. I've been training for this for 20 years. I want to thank my, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's so much about, it's not just this moment of, oh my gosh, they're so talented, and they are, but down to it, down to the, you know, almost every champion you meet, they'll be like, oh, I worked so hard. Finally, my training, you know, got me the victory I was hoping for. You know, Kobe Bryant passed recently. They had his service this week. One of the greatest influences he had on the world is a simple phrase, mamba mentality. If you don't know him or don't know about him, he's famous for it. Mamba, the black mamba is a snake, a killer snake with killer instinct that you don't want to be one-on-one with because you're going to die. And Kobe says, I want to be like that guy. So he's the mamba. But the, the mindset is, I'm going to win, but I'm gonna, I've got to be lethal in my, not just my expectation to win, but my training. He was known to be a hard guy on his team. It's like, you got to step it up. you got to put more effort in. And he, you know, classically, first one in the gym, last one out. It's, it's the mindset he's training to reign. He had the, he had the goal. I want to be the greatest player ever. I want to be, become better than Michael Jordan. I expect to win five championships. Oh, it's not quite enough. I wanted six. I wanted seven. But behind that, it's the mindset. I trained to reign. Paul, the apostle, says that's a very appropriate analogy for your own spirituality. Paul says it. He says it. He says, athletes. So they're the only ones he knows, the best, most famous athletes in the world at the time. They're the Olympians. They race. For for a wreath, not a trophy. He says, take that same mindset that they have. All that, that, that mindset of winning and training. Look at your life with God in that way. He's getting to the reality here. God has so much available, but we're not gonna magically just wake up in the fullness of of all the victory that's possible. Paul said, I consider all things rubbish, dung, (coughs) excuse me, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. That's what it's all about. So this this is not legalism. This is passion, right? We celebrate that with grand romantic gestures if you're in a relationship with somebody some grand romantic gesture where you put a ton of effort what's that called that's called a lover's passion that's exactly what we're talking about this is not legalism 
This is what Jesus is saying. There's the, the greatest treasure you could ever know. It's in a field. So sell everything you have. That's effort. So you can buy this field. It's just coming back to that simple question in a way of, are we seeing Jesus' model where he makes that effort out of love, out of passion, to get alone with God? and then be attentive to his spirit for those bonus times to where this just becomes the normal thing of our life. And we don't have to be legalistic about, ah, oh, I missed one day, so I'm a horrible person. No, that's the stuff you got to get out of your head. No, this is about passion. This is about, I want to know God above all else. I want to be able to to connect with, to, to be able to say these things like they say in the Bible, Psalm 1611, in your presence, God, is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are the pleasures forevermore. Or Psalm 63, your love is better than life, better than anything else in life. Or Paul, everything else is, is, is like trash compared to the greatness of knowing you. It's about this love relationship the practical reality of on our end are we committed to the effort that it takes to train train to reign and then once we got you know some of those basics down it's but I'm attentive I'm always ready what's the next step God is there something new what are you calling me to increase in my life so just to be with you I just wanna, I wanna challenge us with this morning to think about that, that athlete and the amount of commitment and effort they put in to train. And our beautiful apostle Paul says, that's what life with God is gonna be like if you wanna win. God's done his part. He will continue to do his part. His grace is there. His power is there. His presence is there. Come. Be with me, God says. I want to pray and we'll, we'll close our time. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be awakening in each of us a greater vision for what it looks like to win with you, which is first and foremost just that level of knowing you, God. For Jesus said eternal life is knowing God, plain and simple, and that that starts right now. We pray that you would awaken in greater measure that vision, that that is what's possible. That's what you're inviting us into. Intimacy with God a soul satisfied with God, knowing God, hearing God's voice, talking with God, being with God in increasing measure. And for each one of us, no matter how much we've encountered of God, there is a mind-blowing, eternal, eternally great measure more. And may that get us excited 
of how awesome you are, how valuable you are, how beautiful you are, how powerful you are, and that you truly are the greatest treasure in the universe. We pray that that may instill in us a fire to seek your face, a passion to set other things aside on a regular basis to say you're the lover of my soul to seek you with that that intimacy where all nothing satisfies like being with you God and would you show us specifics Lord of how we can honor you worship you make you the great treasure of our lives by putting in those committed times to be with you. And would you help us hear your voice for when we know our soul's a little dry, a little weary, a little lost, and that your spirit is saying, come, drink from the fountain of living water. take a quiet moment here. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would seal in hearts what you want to say. Some of you feel like the Lord's already speaking to you through his word. It's already clear. Maybe there's more clarity he wants to bring. I just encourage you to ask the question, God, what is it exactly you're wanting to say to me this morning and how can I respond with you as my great treasure? God for your grace that you pour out that you want us you've created us for you've made us for a delightful close intimate connection Lord where you are the greatest thing in our life where that connection with you that relationship with you is better than anything else in life we want to know that God and we want to know that in increasing measure to the delight of our soul and to your glory, Lord. And that we would, we would shine. It would just sh shine out of us in a way that, wow, people are just seeing. They're like, what is wrong with you? Man, I just love Jesus so much. He's so real. He's so close. He's so good. May that be our story, Lord, in increasing measure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was singing.